Good evening, everyone. Tonight's session is being interpreted into Spanish. Sam or Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, thank you very much for having us. Hello, everyone. This is Sam Guzman with the CLC, and along with my colleague Alejandro, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. I will now give the instructions in Spanish. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzmán con la CLC y juntamente con mi colega Alejandro estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy al español. Si desea escuchar en español, simplemente vaya a su pantalla y um, oprima el botón que dice interpretación, el icono de globo que dice interpretación y de ahí podrá seleccionar la opción para escuchar en español. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, welcome to the general public comment session of November 13th. Before convening our regular meeting, Council provides a half-hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters except for one scheduled for a legally required public hearing. To maximize time for resident comment, Council will not offer comments or responses from the dais. Council or staff may contact speakers following their comment if they raise matters that lend themselves to follow-up. For those participating in person, when called upon, please come to the podium. On the monitor on the wall, you'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually, when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. When you're promoted, please accept this promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one in your microphone. All speakers should begin their remarks by tell telling council your name and you will have three minutes to speak. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech. Direct your comments to council as a whole and refrain from individual or personal attacks, including disparaging other speakers' motives. We will begin in person with, um, sorry, in chambers with Daniel Riling. Speaking in there? Yes. Okay. Wait, wait, nope, it'll, cat, it'll catch you. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Hello, council members. I am a South Overland resident whose property abuts the 2301 South Santa Fe micro community. And I urge the council to stop this emergency order and heed the requests of our neighborhood. We are no strangers to the housing crisis that plagues the city. However, in Overland South, we have had terrible experiences with the unhoused, and the city's response for our pleas of assistance has left us to fend for ourselves in this area. So it comes as a huge disappointment that the city just chooses to add more people to our problems. My neighbors during, the, during COVID experienced an illegal encampment on this land that saw consistent theft and drug use around the neighborhood. A man was even raped and killed down by the Platte River during this time. We do not feel safe doubling the number of residents in this location and concentrating poverty in such a small area around us. The meeting the mayor had for this uh, micro community was extremely disappointing as well. The presentation could be best described as a rushed attempt to give us zero information. No concrete facts about this community were given to us and they did not even have a service provider picked out at this time an absolute embarrassing attempt to defend a rushed project and gave us no confidence in this actual project at all. Um, there's another person here today, Estancia Montoya, who also worked for one of these service providers for a unhoused um, hotel, or she can give more information on it later. But from her experience, it seemed to be only a paycheck to the people that were working at this place and not an incentivized project to rehabilitate the unhoused. If the council wishes to facilitate the rehab rehab rehabilitation of the unhoused, it must abide by strict guidelines on how to best produce results and have a third party auditing system for the service provider. We as taxpayers and active members in this community 
do not wish to sponsor government-funded housing in order to have residents take advantage of a free ha handout. We want to see this be an absolute success story that drives people back into the workforce. And as of right now, the mayor's plans for this community is not giving us the confidence that is going to be a success. I please, er, please, I urge the council to fully investigate the micro community process before making such a rash decision. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker joining us via Zoom, Kira O'Connor. Hi there, I'm Kira O'Connor. I've lived in West Colfax at a Royal Village since mid 2019. My apartment overlooks the end of the Knox Light Rail Station, so I see what goes on there day and night. In late 2020, the landscape started changing into what it is now, an open drug market and party center. Groups of people use and deal meth and fentanyl constantly. They trash and block the right of way. We desperately need regular police officer foot patrol. The obscenity is that you cannot walk anywhere in the surrounding area without seeing someone with foil and a straw or meth pipe and smelling the stench of burning chemical drugs. Many children live in the area and this is what they see. It's a severe problem plaguing our city and under discussed issue. I come from a place of experience. I was a heavy meth user for 12 years and I've been clean six years. The laws need to change or at least be enforced along with mandatory rehab or the governor signed House Bill 19-1263, which went into effect mid-2020. It loosened the law so that meth and fentanyl possession under four grams is a misdemeanor. Last year, the law was amended, reducing fentanyl to one gram. However, they left meth alone. And from what I see, fentanyl use has increased. As an experienced user, I assure you, assure you four grams of meth is a huge amount. Even a hardcore user will normally have less than a half gram on them. ODing on, meth, ODing on meth alone isn't common. It is a slow death where you lose your physical health, sanity, relationships, jobs, morals, values, and yes, housing. I regularly use public transportation and see drug use and dealing at every bus stop and light rail station. Why? Because there are no consequences. At the ticket level, police have no impetus to pursue users, and if they do end up in jail, judges have no reason to make them stay. When I was in the meth lifestyle, I never used in public. Why? I was afraid of going to jail. Contrary to quote-unquote expert opinions, stricter laws are a deterrent. Thank God there were dire consequences to my life, painful losses that brought me to the end of myself and ultimately get clean. In the grips of addiction, there is no thought of getting the real help you need, only the next baggie of dope. And if you're free to get high outside, why bother with a place with four walls? This is not compassionate treatment to drug addicts. It is cruel. Do continue pursuing all these great ideas on housing people, but you're spinning your wheels and perhaps wasting a lot of money until the drug issue is resolved. Time to reverse HB 191263 or do something similar to help these users. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker joins us on Zoom, Helen Orr. Helen, if you can accept the promotion that our producer is sending you, we can bring you into the panel. There we go.
Okay, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, um, thank you council members. Um, I wanna say a special thank you to District 7 Councilwoman Flora Alvidrez um, for listening to the Overland neighbors and hearing what they had to say and their concerns and for supporting our attempts to negotiate with the city concerning the tiny micro community <clears throat> in our neighborhood. And while we very much understand the complexity and the depth of the situation for homeless folk in the city and acknowledge that we have a share and a part to play, um, we feel that we're having an undue burden in our neighborhood. 120 units proposed, that's more than the number of households in that quadrant of Overland, um, that's too much. And we are asking for an accommodation from the city. And we don't feel that our concerns have been heard. Um, we really feel like the city is going right ahead and doing just whatever they want without seeking us as partners. And we think we have a lot to offer as partners in this situation if we can negotiate terms that are better for our neighborhood. So we would like to see a smaller amount of units, 60 max. And we also are deeply concerned about having registered sex offenders and violent offenders in our neighborhood, right adjacent to a school bus stop um, and just the, across the alley from neighbors. Um, and neighbors are here very concerned. They're also very upset because they see that three other proposed sites have recently been canceled across the city. And apparently due to neighborhood opposition and concerns, um, and yet here we are, and we feel our concerns are not being actually accurately heard. And also we'd like to negotiate in good faith with the city and we'd like the city to negotiate in good faith with us. So what we're asking for is respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, in case you don't know how to spell it, and equity, because as it stands now, we don't see equity in the siting. And we feel that Overland is getting yet again from another government entity, an overburden. So we look forward to working with the city negotiating. And if we can get some accommodations, we can really work at participating and making this a success. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up in chambers, Heather Barnes. Hi, thank you. Um, my name is Heather Barnes. I am also a resident in Overland and I wanted to bring your attention to the inequality and haste in the way the city is choosing and developing micro community sites. I first want to preface this by saying we do want to help address homelessness, but it needs to be done in a way that it doesn't negatively impact existing communities, especially ones that are already under resourced and marginalized like mine. In order to have success, it needs to be beneficial to one group and not detrimental to another. Continuing to burden low-income districts and neighborhoods is not sustainable and only shifts the problem from downtown to other areas. Overland is a low-income, high-diversity neighborhood bisected of highways. It is also a neighborhood with kids, families, elderly, and young adults. 
the city wants to bring a 120 person low barrier shelter with potential sex offenders and violent offenders here for up to four years. I want to bring your attention to that the scale and length of operation two to four years of this size in a residential neighborhood is unprecedented in Denver and maybe in the country. We only have 111 houses in that quadrant. It would be more than a one-to-one -one ratio of micro-community residents to existing. Why are we being disappor disproportionately burdened and affected? Like Helene just said, three sites were canceled in more affluent areas, and those were only slated to have 30 to 40 people each. Golden Triangle will host 44 residents. The site also doesn't fit the city's criteria for an ideal location. It is 1.5 to 2 miles from a grocery store and at least a couple of miles from services. We are in a food desert like many other lower income communities in Denver. The micro community sites are supposed to be half a mile from these. To get to the light rail, it requires an inaccessible 0.75 mile walk with no sidewalks in some areas, few street lights, and then a steep climb up Evans um, Bridge and over the highway. There is also a school bus stop five to 10 feet from the perimeter of the micro community site. Not to mention the nonstop loud noise from the highway and regular trains and railroads are not conductive to a good living environment. Just because there is barren land here due to historical reasons does, that, does not mean we should haphazardly cram a large amount of people there when it doesn't make sense logistically or safety wise. Moore has asked the city to make modifications to the site, including bringing the number down to a maximum of 60 residents and putting barriers in place to protect everyone inside and outside of the community, like screening for sex and violent offenders. We are asking you here today to support her in her request so this site may be a success for both residents and the surrounding neighborhoods. Thank we you very much. That's your time. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up in chambers, Kat De La Rosa. Hello. Tonight, I'm humbly requesting the council rescind the emergency designation for a taxpayer funded encampment at 2300 South Galapagos Street. After a rushed, and I'm sorry if I'm saying what other people have said, we didn't get together. Yes, after a rushed, disingenuous process, the mayor's campaign to hide the dangerous downtown tent encampments, he has presented the council, our neighborhoods, Denver voters, and taxpayers the false Pollyanna narrative and steamrolled our families into a terrifying and life-altering situation. I have owned my little home for 30 years. As an indigenous 72-year-old woman, I chose my house because it backs onto our lovely historical native landing settlement, now called the Grand Frontier Park and Pascanel's Landing. 600 years ago, my ancestors and many other tribes sojourned along the river, and now we are condemned to Denver's encampments, which have proved in the past a real peril. Our neighborhood is 41% Hispanic. We are elderly. We have families with small children who play in the park. But when the encampments are there, they cannot. We are in all a working class, low income group destined to live within a half block or less of the euphemistically labeled micro communities, which number the same number as our households. 
low barrier to date predatory drug addicted and alcohol addicted mentally ill criminal encampment dwellers have attacked our neighborhood and park before we've had murders i myself have taken my grandchildren out to see a man prostituting his two little girls there's been feces all over we have had to personally make call the parks and the police constantly to lock up the bathrooms which have been turned into terrible and terrifying drug homes these i've had all my possessions that i ever put in the backyard stolen my trees cut down my motor home stolen um, they, they have um, created a very fearful environment. I'm afraid to walk a few feet from my car to my house. I don't go out at night. They have wrecked our homes. They have created terrible refuse. Over the past 10 years, we persistently called law enforcement. Please save us from the destruction of our tiny neighborhood. This is not going to look like the pretty pictures that they put out for you. I've been a good citizen for the last 40 years. I have worked with the city. I, for eight years, I was a crisis intervention instructor with the Denver Police Department. I've been a social worker. I adopted a little boy from social services who later became schizophrenic. He tried to kill himself at 18 and tried to kill me Thank at 28. Thank you, that's your time. Thank you very much for being here. Our next speaker is Estancia Montoya. Hello, my name is Estancia Montoya. I'm a Denver resident and I went to West High School, graduated from the Center for International Studies program where, I became my, where that became my passion for working with the homeless. I've been working with the homeless for about 30 years. I do stuff on my own, but I also worked for the Colorado Coalition for the homeless for seven years. Let me tell you about that experience. That experience, um, well, I worked Friday through Sunday and every single day I was there, I would have to call the police because of incidents that's going on. Anything that happens within the facility, I was in charge of and I would have to take care of. They had their own, they could come and go as they want, just like this community is going to be able to do. They can go out and do their drugs and come back in. Um, so um, just wanna let you guys know that's how it is. One of the most um, extreme cases is that a woman was raped eight doors down from where I was staying. There's only two staff members on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. There is no third-party auditor that makes sure that these third-party services are actually obeying and doing everything that they should be doing. So I think that would be one plan to do is to get a third-party <clears throat> auditor to go in. Otherwise, they are just collecting the money to house them, and then these people are doing what they want, and there is no repercussions. So... Grouping all of the homeless under one umbrella is where this plan fails. Let's remember, these people are, they're not just homeless because they don't have a home. They are suffering, majority of the people that I learned, they are on uh, mental health, they need mental health, and they need addiction um, rehab. So I think that what we need to do is address that and change the state of emergency of homeless to mental health and addiction. If you did that, you would clearly clear up the root of the problem of each person and then also address the homeless because they would be somewhere where they can be taken care of. When I worked there, I did not receive any training and I dealt with people with schizophrenia, bipolar, who were on drugs and alcohol. 
I have one question for all of you guys. I want to thank Floor for all her support and listening to the community, but I want you guys to truly and genuinely, if you could answer yes to any of these questions, if you cannot answer yes to any of these questions, then as your job as city council man and woman, you are to represent and protect the Denver citizens and you should be voting no on this tiny home project. First question, if you were homeless, would you feel safe to be in this community? Would you want to be there? And do you think you would get the proper care that you would need? Two, would you, would you love for one of your loved ones, a son, daughter, brother, sister, mom, dad, to be housed in this community? Do you think they would be safe? And also, if this was in your backyard, would you embrace this as well? Or would you be here fighting just like us? If you could not say yes to any of those, then please listen to the people. We heard them all and you've been hearing them all. Vote against this. What the your job is to check and balance the mayor. So I'm asking you, please check and balance and stop and slow some of this down and make sure that he has a plan for what he's doing because he has no plan at all. And me working there, it's, it's, it's not safe for a staff member, it's not safe for a resident, and it's not safe for the community. Thank you, ma'am. Mm -hmm. That's your time. Our next speaker is Liz Peterson joining us on Zoom. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, my husband, Frank, and I are new residents in Overland. We purchased our newly built townhome in February of 2021. Uh, we saw this neighborhood as a rare gem and a good potential for growth. There have been multiple small developers who have seen Overland as an area of change with amazing proximity to the Platte River Trail, beautiful Overland Park golf course, and an easy commute to downtown where they build homes for an, in a variety of, of price ranges. Um, we're we were encouraged that this growth and prosperity would continue. That all changed late this summer when our mayor and his team announced a proposed homeless camp approximately a half a mile from our home and for many just across the alley, not across the street, not or down the block, but across the alley. Not to mention one block from Grant Frontier Park, which on weekends is full of families enjoying the banks of the Platte. Um, if our district is to be a host to a homeless camp, can it not be better proportioned to the size of our neighborhood to be located on Alameda Avenue? That site follows many of the city's aspirations for success. It's very close to light rail at the Alameda station, close to a grocery store, the Safeway at Alameda and Broadway, and along bus routes number three along Alameda and number zero along Broadway. And another parameter, it's not just adjacent to a, bull, a school bus stop as ours is, nor across the alley from single family homes. Our neighborhood has had multiple meetings on this, including meetings attended by the mayor and his team. We do appreciate his campaign promise to get the homeless off the street, but he's doing this in a way that harms hardworking longtime residents of Denver, such as my neighborhood, my neighbors in Overland. He's turning his back on citizens of Denver, offer, off, often favoring a transient population that does not pay taxes work hard and look ahead to better times. Now the mayor has strapped our neighborhood with a proposed four-year death sentence, threatening the safety of those who use the Platte River Trail, the playgrounds, the sense of community, our sleepy low-density neighborhood has had. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker joining us in chambers, Jack Unra. Thank you. Over 43 years on the same block in Overland, we've seen the neighborhood endure a radical widening of Santa Fe under the powers of eminent domain. 
Under the powers of the Supremacy Clause, it endured an illegally cited radioactive dump. Optimistically, I voted for this mayor partly because of his ambitious plan for the homeless. City Council voted for the powers of a state of emergency out of similar optimism. I want to support this mayor in making the homeless situation better for all concerned, but these extraordinary powers have steamrolled steam Overland again. The site plan violates the letter of the pertinent zoning clause, the purported criteria for siting are stretched beyond recognition, and the facts on the ground, like its DPS schools bus stop, were unknown to the mayor. A great looking plan at 30,000 feet looks worse and worse when examined up close. Strong mayor government does not need superpowers, and any kind of power diminishes empathy for the less powerful. Where better healed neighborhoods have persuaded the mayor to listen to the community, disregard for our disadvantaged neighborhood leaves him deaf. District 7's scruffy west side is slated for by superpower to host two of these TMCs. Out of Denver's 78 neighborhoods, Overland's share of 1,000 housed is 13. District 7's is 91. At 120, the Santa Fe site alone is the largest planned anywhere, while some well-housed neighborhoods take no responsibility for the unhoused. Please, my neighbors and our representative Algizris, limit residents to people not in the grip of drugs, alcohol, and documented criminal or sexual compulsion have been ignored. CDOT's dollar-a-year dirt is leased for four years with an option for, for another four. Those four years in the zoning code are called for no, call for no further TMC use. It seems the mayor be, may be looking forward to more superpowers ahead. If possible, halt the development of this site. If not, support reducing its onerous impact. And do not renew these superpowers that distort civil process into administrative omnipotence. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up in person, uh, Charles Foster. Good afternoon, Council. Thank you for letting me be able to speak. Um, I'm speaking in terms of the Five Points African American Historical District, and I would like to bring a lot of important um, matters to your attention at this time. The first matter is this, um, the Five Points Business Improvement District meetings. Um, the property owners and a lot of business owners feel that they're not being represented properly within their needs. Also, there's issues with the board, um, uh, with the board, giving information in terms of the time frame too as well a lot of the uh, the property owners are feel that they're not being notified in a proper proper enough time frame in order to attend and i have another question to ask here too do you have to be do you have to um, own property or own a business to be on the on the five points business improvement board reason being is because there's um there are new members that are on the board that are questionable at this time so I'd like to bring this to your attention. Also, please understand that this is our first historic district within the city and it should be treated as a crown because this is a representation of the city itself in terms of historical aspects. So I wanted to also bring that to the attention of the council. There are a lot of tourists that are coming in and out of the city. Um, we're expecting our airport to, um, over, uh, excuse me, to, to see over 100 million uh, passengers within the next two years. Within that time frame, certainly you will have historians, people that have interest in historical um, values and stuff. And so this is why this is very important for um, the council to be notified in terms of the needs of this particular, uh, excuse me, of our of the district. Another thing I'd like to point to your attention is graffiti issues. 
every week I have um, reported to the city and council, um, excuse me, to the city and county um, of Denver in terms of with their abatement program, which they're doing a good job, but this is been going on since 2019. Every week, uh, just graffiti, vandalism in this area. It seems to be a nonstop issue. This is why I'm now bringing it to the attention to the council. I have looked at, at your uh, municipal codes um, up under section 38. I am asking now, would you please look at these um, codes a little bit more properly because I think they need to be updated the lenience there too, it's very lenient in terms of someone wants to get caught um, with the graffiti or graffitiing um, certain buildings or just buildings um, in uh, particular, specifically in the historic district. I think that within a historic district, these rules and regulations should be looked at more properly and should be addressed. I think they should um, also be, um, the leniency should be looked at too because they're very lenient. Um, I have also like to bring to your attention um, the issue with the street lighting, which I work with the councilman on that particular issue. And the property owners want security too. This is a very, very, very um, need for this. I understand the crime rates are going up in certain parts of the city, but again, this is a historical district. It is look, uh, looked at on an international basis as such. Thank you so very much. That's your time. Oh, thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, our next speaker is uh, signed up in chambers, Tyler Israel. All right, good afternoon. Um, I wanna start by saying I live inside, I own a vehicle. However, that was not always the case for me. Um, after trying to get resources and help with that, I ended up having to kind of do it myself um, because as we know, as we've heard multiple times, these resources can take a long time um, and I mean, I'm still homeless at the end of the day. Um, but I did find a situation where um, I'm able to pay a low amount of rent. Um, I live inside and it's warm and I have food every night. Um, I'm queer, non-binary, and also feminized person of color in society. I know the rules, I'm not gonna call anyone out, um, but I'm gonna name drop, not anyone that's particularly in here. Um, as we know, bathroom access in this city, uh, in the metropolis, has uh, been scarce for a really long time. Um, and when people do let you go to the bathroom, it's under the condition that um, you look a certain way. You have to get codes to go into a lot of bathrooms downtown. Um, and those codes are on your receipts from when you made a purchase. So there's this expectation that you have to spend money to go to the bathroom. Um, now, this particular situation, I was spending money. I was a regular customer at La Morena on Colfax. I had been going there long enough to probably spend uh, $1,000 collectively over the course of like a month, month and a half-ish. Um, and um, it, was, it was fine. Um, I was using the bathroom that uh, best accommodated me. Um, and one night when I went for my routine dinner there, um, I was harassed by their security, armed security. As far as I knew, armed security is supposed to 
um, protect the safety of people inside and not people's feelings. But the female security guard, Caitlin, took, a, took it upon herself um, to tell me that I had to use the other restroom. And when I told them that this was a violation of my civil rights, uh, Caitlin got in my face. It came into a full-blown heated argument and that manifested me getting 86 off the property. And like I said, I live inside and this happened to me. So I can only imagine if I was still outside and I didn't have that money. This is a, and, and to get a lawyer for this and to begin to even try to take legal action takes a long time. The easiest thing to do is what? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and move on. Thank you for much, so much for coming today. Um, that concludes our general public comment session. If we did not get to you today, please join us next week or submit your comments in writing. The next session will be held on Monday, November 20th. Sign up begins at 11 a.m. on Friday, November 17th.